We spend a lot of time in the church talking about conversion, talking about the sort of, uh, call it the steps of salvation a lot, you know, belief, repentance, baptism. Those are great things to talk about. I don't want to diminish those things for a second. I was pretty young when I got baptized. I was old enough to know what I was doing, but young enough that I was in no way a mature person. And when I was baptized, I remember coming up out of the water, the joy of feeling the sins washed away is the best night of sleep I've ever had in my life. And the next morning, I was just another guy. And I remember kind of asking myself, what now? What, what's next? Because I grew up going to church services, and always my goal was someday I'm going to be a Christian. And then one day I woke up and I was a Christian, and I didn't have any idea what that even looked like. And I think sometimes we fail ourselves and we fail our young people and maybe we fail the people that are coming to Jesus for the first time when we haven't really prepared them for what's next. We've prepared them to get them in and out of the water. Good luck, buddy. Colossians 3 talks a lot about the purpose of or Colossians in general talks about the purpose of the church, the purpose of being a Christian. And all of it comes back to the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king. He is powerful. He is the Lord. He is the creator. Everything is from him and everything is owed to him. And that includes our lives. And so Colossians builds this picture of the church, of Christians, as the kingdom of God, created by God to be given back to Jesus. And it's a beautiful picture. As he comes through the book, Paul portrays Christians as a new creation. A new people created by Christ through the conversion process, through belief, repentance, and baptism. He says, when you come up out of the water, you are a new being when you're a Christian. The church family is a group, a community of new, new creatures, unlike anything else in the world because we have been purified through Jesus. Colossians 3 is where Paul addresses the, okay, then what next? And that's what I want to talk about today. Because Paul is going to go through and he's going to say, here is what a Christian life supposed to look like. You're a new creature. Here's what this new creature's life looks like. Here is the life of a Christian, and here is the life of a church family. 
Let's start just by going through the first four verses. We read these at the beginning of service, but I think it's, it's worth reading them again. If you're in Colossians 3 with me, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. So Paul starts this section with something that if you're not really ready for it, it kind of catch you off guard. He says, these instructions are someone who has been raised with Christ. And if you're like me, the first time I read through that, I say, oh, well, I'm still on this earth. I have not been raised with Christ. Paul isn't talking in that verse about the final resurrection. He's going to talk about that. He talked about that some in the verses we just read. Paul's playing on an idea that he gave in the last chapter that I wish we had the time to read, but I wish we had the time to read the whole book, but you probably don't want to sit through that today. But Paul compares the conversion process, belief, repentance, baptism. He compares that to dying and being raised with Christ. So, when Paul gets to this section at the beginning of chapter 3, and he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, he's talking about all those that have put on Christ in baptism. This is Paul saying, if you are a Christian, these are words for you. So he says, if you've been raised with Christ, here's what we're going to do between sort of, if you want to put it this way, the picture Paul paints is between the first resurrection, which is the resurrection of you coming up with Christ in baptism, between your first resurrection and your second resurrection where you're raised with Christ in the end, here's what your life needs to look like. And the picture here, notice what he says. There's two paths. It's playing on a very common biblical theme. There's two ways to go. One way is the way that's set on the things above, centered around the way of Christ, centered around His throne. There's two paths. One is of Jesus It is serving the Lord, setting our hope on Him. It is amazing. And then at the end, Paul says, in the second resurrection, then you will be raised with glory and honor and joy in Him. So the first path is following Jesus and then being set free in life through Him. Conquering death through Jesus. That's the first path. The other path is the things of the world. And he says the things of the world, you're going to pursue what's here. You're going to focus on temporary, vain, fleshly things. And if you focus on these things, you may get your reward. You may be very successful in the here and now, 
But notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, and then you will receive the joy in the resurrection. Paul says, here's the choice. You can experience the joy that's here right now. You can experience anything you want to on this earth. And that may bring some temporary happiness, some temporary pleasure. But in the end, the only people that will experience eternal joy, eternal life, eternal comfort are the people that have set themselves with Jesus. So that's the first thing Paul wants us to know about the resurrected life is that it doesn't end at conversion. The first thing that you have to do is you have to set your mind that I'm going to continue to follow Jesus. But that is... I guess sort of an abstract kind of concept. Paul does this a lot, right? He'll give you the principle, and then he'll explain what that means. And this passage is no different. So that's the principle. The principle is ignore the earthly, strive for Jesus. The next few verses, Paul's going to show what that actually means. The rest of the chapter, really, Paul is going to say, Here's what that life looks like, practically speaking. And the first thing Paul's going to do, if you want to pick back up with me in verse 9, the first thing Paul's going to do is he's going to say, okay, I want to take two seconds to talk about that earthly life. And here's all the things that need to be gotten out of the Christian's life. So if you want to pick back up with me in verse 5, here's what Paul says. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And we'll stop there for now. So here's the first thing that Paul says. He says, when you're looking at those two paths and you've got the joy of living with Jesus on one side and the temporary things of the earth on one side, there's absolutely no comparison. So he said, therefore, he's expecting you to understand that. He says, since we already acknowledge this, here's what we need to do. We need to get all the earthly out. All the earthly, it's got to go. And notice the way he puts it. Put it to death. Paul makes it very clear. This isn't a life that we can sort of try to hop back and forth between the earthly and Jesus path. That's not the picture Paul has here. It's not something that we can kind of keep in the back of our mind. It's not something that we can try to live both sides of. Paul says it's got to go. It's got to be gone. You've got to put that stuff to death. It is the stuff of your old life before the conversion, before you're resurrected with Christ. It has no part in the new creation. It has no part in the Christian life. And notice what Paul specifically calls out. Because he could call out any sin, and he would be completely justified to do that. But these are themed. This is a message that Paul has. Notice what these things have in common. 
I should find where I am in my notes and I'll help you find what they have in common. Look at the old desires that he specifically calls out. Okay, so he says sexual immorality and lust. That is misusing that proper bond, that proper relationship, and treating someone as an object for our pleasure. He says lying's got to go, anger's got to go, evil intent to hurt and defame someone. A lot of this list is focused on you putting yourself above the wants and needs of someone else. Now, that's not Paul saying that the other sins are okay in a Christian life, but notice what he said. Here is point number one. Here's what has to go. Can't have anything to do with this in the new Christian life. Anything where you are elevating yourself above other people. You're taking advantage of other people for your own temporary pleasure. Paul says those things have got to go. Paul goes so far as to compare covetousness, this idea of being jealous for something that someone else has, putting a desire for this physical thing in this earth, and putting it in between your relationship with them. He says that's idolatry. Now, it's really easy to bypass that because he only just kind of makes it aside. Covetousness, which is idolatry, that is a very important concept for the way that Paul views all of these sins. Because idolatry is putting the vain, temporary, earthly things in between you and a relationship with God. And we all know that's bad. That's the first two commandments, right? But Paul says, you know what is the same thing as idolatry? When you ruin your relationship with your neighbor because you're jealous of his house. When you ruin your relationship with your coworker because you wish you got that promotion. When you ruin your relationship with a family member because the will didn't divide the way you wanted it to. Paul says that's idolatry too. That falls just in line with everything else. Paul is reaching out to us and he's saying, hey, look, here's what has to get out. Everything where you let the temporary, vain, earthly things get in between you and serving your brother. Those things got to go. They have no place in a Christian's life at all. When we become Christians, we become a part of something larger than ourselves. When we become Christians, we plug into the family of God. And Paul's given us the family rules. You ever go to one of those houses that has like the sign on the wall, in this family we, X, X, Y, whatever. In this family, we forget about ourselves. In this family, we don't let anything get between me and loving the other people here. In this family, if I'm holding on to the temporary earthly things and it's getting in the way of me serving God and serving others, it goes. It's gone. It's put to death. 
That is the resurrected life. That is the new creation. And it's going to hurt. I'm not going to tell you that this is easy. And I'll for sure not tell you it's easy because I haven't done this yet. I haven't gotten rid of all the pride and the selfishness in my life. I'm going to wager that you haven't either. This is not going to be easy. This is going to hurt. This is going to take restructuring your priorities. This is going to take giving up some of your goals. This is going to take admitting sometimes that you've made some pretty big errors. But it's worth it. It's hard, but it's worth it because this is the path that Jesus gives us the complete joy and comfort and mercy and forgiveness on. Jesus doesn't ask us to leave everything behind for no reason. He says, leave these things behind so that I can give to you joy and life. And that's a trade worth making. So the first thing Paul wants us to see about this resurrected life is you got to get all of the excess out. you got to get all of the selfishness and the pride out because there's something greater. And that's what Paul really clings on to starting in verse 10. Paul says, you, you put aside the things of earth. Here's what you need to cling to. Starting back in verse 10. And have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and Christ is in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So here's the new life. Notice where it starts. Paul emphasizes two separate times. This starts with God. We're being renewed, not in the image of the best me I can be. That's not what I, I'm not. I'm not renewed in myself. Paul says you're renewed in the image of the creator. You're renewed in God, in the knowledge of God, in faith. So this starts with God. Even when he talks about forgiveness, Paul says, forgive others, but not just forgive others. Forgive others as God has already forgiven you. So Paul starts this, what this faithful life looks like with an acknowledgement that you're not going to do something for someone else that God hasn't already done for you to the nth degree. 
that the reason this is the life God calls us to is because this is the life that God lives. That God serves and God loves and God forgives. And all He calls you to do is to be like Him. And notice the way that he says to do that. Notice how it starts. The acknowledgement of the new creation of God, what it looks like. Since I haven't earned my salvation, this isn't based on me. This is based on the image of the Creator. None of us are better or more deserving than anyone else. Paul says... People of all races and backgrounds are equal in Christ. The rich and poor are equal in Christ. Galatians 3 adds that there is no male or female in Christ. All are equal. This new creation isn't a hierarchy, spiritually speaking. And what does that mean? If I'm not better than you, and I'm not better than anyone... That means that this gospel isn't dependent on me. It means I didn't earn this gospel. That I'm not more worthy of the salvation of Jesus than the drug addict. That I'm not more worthy of the salvation of Jesus than anyone. Whoever you think of as the lowest low, the worst, the scum of the earth. You're not more worthy of the gospel than they are. And yet, Jesus has given it to you. And Jesus has given it to them. The new creation of Christ is built on the idea that nobody is worthy of being a citizen in the kingdom of God. And yet, everyone is invited. None of us earned it, but all of us are called. And Paul's not saying that just to make some sort of theological point. Paul's not saying that just because it sounds good. Paul's saying that because that changed perspective, that changed way of looking at everyone the way that God does as a soul who needs Jesus. That changes the way you live. Because when I realize that everyone is created equally in the image of God. I don't have room for selfishness. When I realize that God loves me the same way that He loves the people who have hurt me, I don't have the room to hold grudges. Paul says you need to live like you believe that you are not above anyone else. And notice what that does. Here's the result of this new perspective that Jesus gives me. Humility, compassion, kindness, patience, forgiving even as God has forgiven us through Jesus. In other words, the Christian life is a life of service. Don't come into the church because you want to be able to hold that over the other people in your life. 
Don't come into the church because you want to be able to talk nasty about everyone that's not in these doors. That's not the Christian life. Here's the Christian life. Serve. Here's the Christian life. Love. Have compassion. Show kindness. That's what we're called to do because that's what Jesus did. And Jesus calls us to live like he lived. To forgive. To help. To serve. Paul says here is, you want to know, you come up out of the water... You're a Christian now. What does that look like? Paul says, here's what it looks like. It's time to serve others. Here's what it looks like. Get busy loving your brother. I love the three commands. Paul finishes this section that we just read with three commands. And they are the perfect conclusion to the thoughts of the whole chapter. The first one he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. He even says, the peace of Christ is why we were called in the first place. The idea being why Christians exist, why the church exists, is to let the peace of Christ rule. And what does that mean in my life? If I can do something, or if I can say something that shows the peace of Christ to others, then I need to boldly and faithfully do it. That's letting the peace of Christ rule in my heart. But it's also, if I'm about to do something or say something that is going to get in between me and showing the peace of Christ to somebody else, then I need to stop. That spreading the gospel is spreading this peace of Jesus. And that anything that I do that gets in the way of that peace, that's not the Christian life. Anything that I do that gets in between me showing people the love of God, that's not the Christian life. And Paul says, here's why you were called, so that you can let that peace rule in your heart, so that you can live guided by that peace, so that you can show others the peace that Jesus has shown you. That's the first thing that Paul says. The second one, the second one is, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And he expands that. He talks about teaching and singing to each other. The idea of being here that we care deeply about what Christ said and did while he was on this earth. To let the word of Christ dwell in us, and not just dwell in us, dwell in us richly. You have Jesus' teachings in you. You have done what it says to do in Deuteronomy where you have bound them between, as a frontlet between your eyes. You are focused all day, every day, on what Jesus said. And you're living by that. It's dwelling in you. It has become who you are. 
You are a person guided by the truth of God. And that you're encouraging others in the same path. This isn't an idle thing where because the, the word of God dwells in you, you kind of clinch onto it and hold onto it. It's not what it is. The word of God dwells in you, and so you want to share it. You want to come together and sing together and encourage each other. You want to help teach others in the way of Jesus. You want to build people up so that they can better understand and feel the peace of God in their lives. So that they can better experience the Word of God that you experience. So that's the second thing. And the third thing is if that wasn't all-encompassing enough, let whatever you do in word or deed be forgotten. Nothing gets out of that. Because Paul says through the last one, dwell, think on the things of God, and then he follows it up by saying, oh, also act and speak in the ways of God. Paul says, you want to know what a Christian life looks like? Here's what it looks like. You speak, you think, and you act in love, humility, mercy, service. And that's the path. That's what we're all striving for. Here, as individuals, I'm supposed to be modeling that love and hope and faith and forgiveness and service in my individual life but also what we're growing towards together. That we're encouraging each other to say, hey, we all need to be growing in love and service and hope and mercy. And that's the resurrected life. Paul says, if you've been raised with Jesus, if you've become a Christian, here's what's next. Get rid of the pride. Get rid of what holds you back. And go fully in to humility and love and service. And that's it. Here's what we're growing towards. All of us. That's the message of Colossians 3. I don't really even feel like I need to put any more of an application section on it than what Paul already did. If you want the application for the lesson, read those last few verses again. Everything you think, everything you say, everything you do, let it be directed towards spreading the love and peace of Christ to others and cut all the things that don't do that. And that's your application. And Paul will go on through the rest of the chapter because we kind of had to cut it short just because I talked too much. For the rest of the verses in the chapter, in the first verse of the next chapter, Paul says, by the way, if you're married, this applies to you in your marriage. If you're a child, this applies to you in your relationship with your parents. If you're a parent, this applies to you in the way that you parent. If you are a slave, or we normally would apply it as if you're a worker, this applies in your relationship with your boss. If you're a master, we would normally say if you're a boss, this applies in the relationship you have with the people under you. 
in every aspect of our life, when we come up as Christians, when we believe, when we repent, when we're baptized, we come up gearing towards love and service and humility in every aspect. Because I think sometimes it's almost easy to do that when I'm sitting here shaking hands with everybody wearing a suit and saying, you know, I'm going to encourage you because I'm in the church building. That's what I do. Am I doing it when it gets hard Monday through Saturday? Am I doing it when I'm going through the drive through at a fast food place and it's taking too long? Am I doing it when I'm walking through the Walmart parking lot and I step in a puddle and now my mood is bad? Am I doing it then? Paul says, here's the life. Pursue peace, pursue love, pursue service, and get everything out. And that's what a Christian life looks like. All right, as far as the invitation goes, you can't experience this peace or this joy without Jesus. You can try to find it in your daily life. You'll find some temporary passing pleasure. You'll find some vein of pleasure here but you're not going to find the eternal, long-lasting joy and peace that can only come through Jesus. So if you aren't a Christian, please, do you believe? Are you sorry for what you've done? If so, you need to come to Him. And if not, we need to talk about why not. But for those of us who are Christians, I'm not doing this very well all the time. And I'm going to say, probably, you're not doing this very well all the time. If you need help, we'd love to help you. Talk to me, talk to the elders, talk to anybody here that you trust. I don't care who it is. Find them and say, hey, I need help getting rid of my pride. I need help living in love and service. Can you help me? And so, if you need anything now, we'd love to talk with you, we'd love to pray with you, we'd love to pray for you. But let's get help. If we can help you in any way, feel free to come to the front as we stand and as we sing.